Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Except that ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The signs and wonders that people are always looking for in the Gospels are for confirmation, or so they think, of who Jesus is and what they think uh, is incumbent upon the Messiah to show them, to demonstrate. When people were expecting a Savior to come to them uh, 2,000 years ago in Roman-occupied Judea, they were looking for someone who was going to have the power necessary to rescue them from all their ills, from a foreign government who did not share their beliefs, from military leaders walking among them with their hands on the hilts of their swords to remind all the people that they were at peace, but not really. They were a a breath away from being reminded of the strong arm of Rome. They were worshiping the way that they wanted to worship with their temple and their God, but Rome was there with their temples and their gods scattered all throughout their land. And this is not the vision that the people of God, the Jews at the time, had for the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus began his ministry by saying, The kingdom of God is near, is at hand, it has arrived. You can hold on to it now because here it is. The people were thinking, great, that means Rome will be kicked out. Their temples demolished. All these foreign gods banished from our land. The one true God and his temple raised up. The people of God strengthened to go into the surrounding lands and countries and kingdoms and conquer them so that our God, the true God, will be known throughout all the world by the might of his people. This is what people were looking for. To know that Jesus was who he said he was then, he needed to demonstrate some power. He needed to show these people miraculous signs and wonders, the things that they knew were to follow after this king, And so when they had heard that Jesus had done some signs and wonders, had healed some people, had uh, turned water into wine, the word gets out and people start coming to Jesus in order to see more of them, to see for myself. I want to see. But Jesus, when he began his ministry, it was a ministry primarily not of military organization or gathering up a whole bunch of people in order to march on Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. It was a ministry of teaching. He spent most of his days praying and teaching, teaching and praying. Now, sure, I guess would be expected that the Messiah to come and kick out the Romans would be a godly man, a man who knew the scriptures and, and was close with God. So, I guess that would be expected that he would be somewhat of a a teacher and a religious leader. But also, let's see the power. (laughs) 
Let's, let's confirm who you are. And so as Jesus is traveling from a place where he was not believed to be who he said he was, and so he, in a sense, shakes the dust off his feet and is going to a new place, someone comes to him who had heard of what he could possibly do, a nobleman, not just anybody, a man with um, a, a high position in the land, someone with wealth and riches, someone with servants, who we see later in the story. And he's in a desperate situation. And so he begs Jesus, come with me and show me your power by healing my son who is sick. Now, Jesus, we know, is full of compassion and mercy. So when we hear him reply, this generation just you guys won't believe until you see signs and wonders, will you? It strikes us as maybe a little bit harsh for the character that we know Jesus to have, especially when other people approach him and he heals them immediately. He doesn't rebuke them for anything. So why is this rebuke here? This is a story that's very similar to another story where a Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, not his son, but my servant, uh, is sick with uh, a palsy. He, he's greatly afflicted by it. And Jesus, in this instance, does not rebuke him by saying something about him wanting signs or wonders, but immediately says, take me to him. And what does the centurion say? Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but all you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. We have these two stories, and as similar as they are, some people think that they may be the same story, just told from different angles or with a few different details. But the fathers of the church tend to think that these are actually separate occasions. And St. Gregory the Great points out that we learn a lesson from the differences in these two stories. One is the people who come to Jesus. In the one case, and today, it's a nobleman who has probably a nice house, who lives in a nice part of town, who has servants, who will uh, see Jesus in and probably give his disciples something to eat, you know, a little hospitality. In another case, it's a centurion, one of those bad Romans who are walking around with their hands on their swords, who the people are not fond of, who may have a nice house and, and be well off, but He's not in an area of town that most good Jews would want to visit. They definitely would not want to set foot in his house. But Jesus is willing to go to the one and apparently not to the other. What does this teach us about the two people and the two scenarios? St. Gregory thinks that it teaches us humility. He thinks these two stories rebuke our pride by thinking if we ourselves are following Jesus, that we have to learn the lesson not to rebuke or not to turn away from those who are in need of help, who are maybe in a place that we'd rather not visit. At the same time, those who come to us for something who we could possibly gain some uh, social credit from by visiting, let's not be too eager to visit them out of a sense of, um, I don't know, honor. Oh, how privileged am I to be invited here? So that's one lesson that we can draw from this. But there's another important lesson that I think we can draw specifically in the context of the rest of 
the scriptures and the propers, that's all the things that we chant throughout the Mass, and how they all work together. After Jesus um, decides not to go with the man to show him a sign and wonder and confirm whatever he wants to see worked out before his eyes, Jesus rebuking the pride of uh, maybe this man, maybe his disciples, thinking, yes, let's, let's go to this nobleman's house. Jesus heals the son, but he does so in a way that demonstrates his power in a, in a secret way. It's not a sign or wonder that um, tickles our ears or pleases our eyes. It's kind of anticlimactic. He just says, go your way, your son is healed. Okay, the nobleman turns and goes his way, somewhat dejected maybe, a little disappointed that Jesus didn't come with him. Kind of like Naaman in the Old Testament when uh, he goes to this great man of God and is told, just go uh, wash in our muddy river over there a few times and, and God will heal you. What? I have better rivers in my country. So this nobleman is turned away and it's not until the next day by his servants that the sign and the wonder is confirmed to him. But what is this sign, this wonder that Jesus does? It is a healing done at a distance by his very words. He speaks the word into the world and in another town, a boy is healed. What we see in this miracle today is that God's power is everywhere. We do not have to see something with our eyes or hear it with our ears to know that God's power is working all around us and can work in mysterious ways, in ways that are unseen and hidden. And in this world where very little is left to the imagination anymore, we can see and hear so much more than we've ever been able to. You log onto the internet and Google a few keywords and before your eyes are brought the wealth, a wealth of information that would not have fit in the great library at Alexandria. At our fingertips is available sights and sounds and information that would have boggled the mind of every generation before us. And now we're used to that. Now we have to see for ourselves what's going on with this news story or that. Now instead of our sphere of um, experience, direct experience being our family and friends in our immediate town and village, we have the entire world. We have uh, Portland, things going on in Portland that are affecting our emotions now. We have what's being uh, said or done in, a, uh, in Chicago um, causing a response in Atlanta within minutes. The world is so interconnected now and we see and experience so much that I think it may be doing damage to our expectations of what God, how God works in the world. Remember, Christ's ministry involved signs and wonders, but it was primarily teaching. And what is the point of teaching? Why did 
Jesus spent so much time teaching people. It was so that their hearts were transformed, so that their minds were brought to a deeper understanding of who God is, so that their whole internal soul situation was turned toward God and ordered rightly. He did some things to help the world be ordered better, healing, uh, casting out demons, um, saving a wedding from running out of wine, and these are good things. But he spent so much more time making sure that those hearing him had their internal lives ordered. In the propers of the Mass, our introit, our entrance chant, tells us that everything is in subjection to God's will, and there is no one on earth able to resist his power, because God created everything, heaven and earth, and all the wonders under heaven's vault, because he is the Lord of all things. In the epistle, St. Paul tells us that our real uh, life warfare isn't against flesh or blood. Our real struggles aren't with the things going on in the world in terms of news stories, but rather principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. These are spiritual things that we're warring against, the things that make us disordered in our souls, in our minds. This is what we fight against. So Paul tells us to arm ourselves with what? Swords and guns? Not necessarily. They can be useful in some situations, but that's not the primary armor that we need. The armor that we need is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of preparation for the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying, supplication of the Spirit, perseverance in all of our struggles, and the supplication for all the saints. These are the things that we should be concerned with and spend our time on. The gradual chant says, Lord, you have been our refuge from one generation to another. Before the mountains were brought forth, before ever the earth or the cosmos were made, you were God from eternity. After the earth and the heavens pass away, it is still God and it is still the state of our souls that will matter. I think it would not be the worst idea for us to, when our souls are feeling disordered, log off from the signs and wonders. Close our eyes to the hungry, the, the hunger of our eyes. Close it off to, to all the sights, the ears which want to be tickled to hear the things that are pleasing to hear. Close them off and listen to the silence. Listen for the still small voice 
that God speaks with. Listen for the things he says. Watch for the things he does that are anticlimactic by the standards of our 24-hour news cycle. And pay attention to the teachings of Christ above all else so that our hearts and our souls become ordered. This is our lesson for today. I pray that we um, take Jesus at his word, that we, like the centurion and not the nobleman, say, I'm not worthy for you to do anything for me besides just speak a word. Just speak a word to me. And anything else you do beyond that, I will take and receive with gratitude. But I'll expect nothing more from you, the God who created everything, than just to speak comfort and peace to me so that I may be ordered rightly and expect to be with you for eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.